Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. It's good to be back with you all uh, and speaking with you this morning. Uh, after last week, we had our special guest, Mark Middleberg, over at our, our St. Albans campus. Uh, and Mark was here as part of our Contagious Faith conference. And uh, if you missed any of his messages, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to some of them. They're on our YouTube or our Facebook. Uh, we've also put them out through our podcast feed. But I'd like for you to go back and listen to him because uh, over the course of three messages, he gave 20 reasons, 20 evidential reasons that point to God as our creator and point to Jesus being the son of God. And really, at the end of the day, at the end of all of it, it really, and he said, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It's a bigger leap of faith to deny all of those things. And so uh, I really would encourage you to go back and listen to those. Today, we are starting a new series as we head into Easter, and we're going to be focusing on the life of the Apostle Peter. And you know, there's just something special about Peter. You can't quite put your finger on it, but there's just something different about him that draws us in. There's something about who he is that draws us to him. And you know what? We're not alone in that. Peter had a special relationship with Jesus himself. Peter led the church in its infancy. And while the Holy Spirit was responsible for its growth, people were drawn to Peter and his leadership. You know, if we were to take a poll of some of our favorite biblical characters, Peter would make almost every list, and he'd probably be near the top of, of a bunch of them. You know, if it wouldn't be for his personality, his magnetic personality, maybe it would be for his tremendous accomplishments that we read about. You know, this is a man who walked on water. He was the only human outside of Jesus to ever walk on the water. Uh, Peter, he was the man who was the first to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter is the one who preached the first gospel sermon in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people trusted in Jesus and were baptized. And there are many more stories of Peter than just these, but it's clear that Peter is one of our biblical heroes. But maybe it's not his accomplishments that draws you into Peter. Maybe for you, it's you're drawn to him because of his glaring weaknesses. For all of Peter's many accomplishments, he had his share of imperfections as well. You know, we can see his humanity and relate with him. Because like we sometimes do, uh, Peter made some very public and very humiliating blunders. Things like, you know, one minute he's out there, he's walking on the water, and the next he's flailing in the water for his life because he let fear and doubt creep in, and he took his eyes off of Jesus. Uh, things like one day he's publicly confessing that Jesus is the, the, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and then a short time later he's publicly denying him after Jesus would told, told him he would do so. Or, or one day he's preaching the first powerful gospel message, and then a short time later he's pulled aside and rebuked by the Apostle Paul for showing prejudice toward the Gentiles. You know, we can relate with Peter because he's not perfect, and we're not perfect either. He's human. He, he messes up in his relationship with Jesus the same way that we do. One day, we shine. We're on the mountaintop, and the next day, we stumble over the same old thing. One day, we're proud of our accomplishments. The next, we're embarrassed by our mistakes. 
And it reminds me of the story of the courtroom and the prosecuting attorney called a gray-haired lady to the witness stand. And he started out and said, ma'am, do you know me? And she responded, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. I've known you since you were a child. I've watched you grow up in this community, and I must say, I'm disappointed in you. I know that you're a liar, you're dishonest, and you manipulate people behind the scenes. Well, the red-faced lawyer, he looks around, straightens his tie, he turns to the defense attorney and said, okay, well, do you know him? And she said, yes, I know him too. I've known him since he was a baby. I I changed his diaper and I babysat him when he was a child. I've watched him grow up and you know what? I'm pretty disappointed in him too. He's a liar, he's a crook, and he's running around on his wife with other women in town. And at that moment, the judge interrupted the proceedings and he called both lawyers to his desk. And in a hushed tone, he said to them, if either one of you ask if she knows me, I'm going to hold you in contempt and kick you out of this courtroom. We have fallen short. All of us have fallen short of our intentions. We are all sinners. That is a fact that we cannot ignore. There is no escaping that. So we can identify with Peter because he is so imperfect, and he has his ups and his downs just like all of us. But one of the most attractive things about Peter is how he always got back up when he fell down. Now, I have quoted Chumbawamba in a previous sermon, things about getting knocked down but getting up again, and that was probably once too many, but you get the idea. And that's what we want to look at this series, not Chumbawamba, but we want to trace Peter's life as he falls down, but also as he gets up again. And what I want to try to avoid, however, is what historians call flashing forward. You know, flashing forward means that you look back on somebody's life or maybe a particular uh, set of events in history and you disregard details of of a certain time period because, well, you know how it ends. You gloss over some of the stuff because you know what the ending is. It would be like studying the Civil War and overlooking some of the, the important and incredible details of the period leading up to the Battle of Gettysburg because we know how the war ended. We've, we forget things that, like how it looked like the South might win the war. We overlook it because we know that the North ended up eventually winning. You would be tempted to forget some of those details. You know, we can't simply toss out all of history because of the outcomes of certain events. We have to be careful of flashing forward. And we could certainly flash forward in Peter's life as well and see him as this great gospel missionary that he would become, but in doing so, we would miss some important lessons from earlier in his life that might help us on our own journey. And so this morning, we want to focus on Peter's life in Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and turn over there so you can follow along with me. It was at this point in his life that Peter had answered the call of Christ to follow him in a discipling, mentoring relationship, a relationship that he's been in for about a year or so. And we're going to see here in Matthew 16 that Jesus, he has a a pretty big question for Peter and for the rest of the disciples. And so if you're in Matthew 16, we're going to pick things up in verse 13. And Matthew writes, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptizer, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is a big moment in the ministry of Jesus and the life of Peter and of the disciples. Jesus has gathered them all there at a place north of the Sea of Galilee in the foothills of Mount Hermon. It was a hotbed of idol worship and a place where the Greek god Pan was routinely worshipped. Uh, our friend from the Old Testament, the prophet Baal, he was worshipped there as well. There was an idol to Caesar right there as well. And going up the face of Mount Hermon, if you were to climb it, there were all sorts of niches and, and, and cutouts where idols were placed. It was a religiously diverse place with dark spiritual shadows all around. And so when Peter answered Jesus' crucial question, who am I with, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, it was a bold declaration, a very bold profession of faith, especially given their location. It's interesting that none of them then would speak up with maybe some of the ordinary gossip that people were talking about Jesus, saying the things they were saying about him. There were people in, in the community that were, that were calling Jesus a, a drunkard or a glutton or a man who hung out with sinners and tax collectors. But nobody mentioned any of those. They played it safe instead. And so we see that they, they said that some say that you are John the baptizer. In Matthew 14, when Herod heard about Jesus' fame, he said, well, in my words, he said, oh man, John the baptizer has come back from the dead to haunt me. The disciples said, well, some say you're Elijah. The book of Malachi had predicted that, that Elijah would come just ahead of the day of the Lord. And some people took that literally. They said, some say you're Jeremiah. And, you know, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet who had wept over the city of Jerusalem. And so when Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, they thought, well, maybe this is Jeremiah. And the disciples said, well, some say that you're a modern prophet. And that's what Muhammad would later tell all of his followers about Jesus, that he's just one of the prophets. And millions of people today even believe that same lie, even some who aren't Muslim. But Jesus says, Okay, okay, I, I hear all of these things. I hear what you, what you say, but who do you say that I am? An important question to say the least, and the most important question that you and I will answer today. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And the answer we, we give will determine our eternal destiny, because Jesus himself said in Mark 16, whoever believes in me and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. It's the most critical question for your life and for eternity. But like the culture at the time of Jesus, our world is floundering right now in a sea of confusion about many things. States are trying to pass laws making it legal to let babies die up to a month after their birth. Transgender athletes are winning events over heterosexual athletes. Our country is in a little bit of a weird place right now because we were founded on freedom and biblical values. But over time, we've begun to lose the biblical values and turn up the freedom in its place. And in that space, 
People are free to be whomever they want to be, whomever they identify as that day. But it fights against the morality that God has instilled in each one of us. We also have spiritual confusion, which is something that most of us know about. Many people in our world have fallen away from Christianity and fallen into other beliefs because it aligns better with how they think things should go. They look for beliefs that allow them to still do all the things they want to do, to say the things they want to say, because if you have to fight against it, if it's a struggle, then it can't be worth following. If it doesn't feel right, then it can't be right. And yeah, this could be Buddhism or Hinduism, paganism, Wicca, and on and on. But it can also be the health and wealth gospel or progressive Christianity that says there is no hell or God doesn't deserve all of our glory. Oh, there are so many traps of confusion that await us when we think that our ways are higher than God's ways. But if the Bible is true, and if Jesus is the Son of the living God, and if Jesus is fully God, and if Jesus is like he claimed to be, then the answer we give to this question is more important than any answer we'll give to any other question. I believe that he is truly all of those things, and I really hope that you believe that too. Peter certainly believed it. He had been watching and learning from Jesus for some time now. He had seen him stand toe-to-toe with the religious leaders that day and not blink an eye. He was never intimidated. He had heard his incredible teaching. He had seen Jesus heal people of leprosy and all kinds of other diseases and paralysis and blindness. He had watched as Jesus healed, brought a little girl back to life and healed a woman who had been suffering for 12 years. He had seen miracles day after day after day. He had seen Jesus feed thousands with enough food for a Wednesday night small group. He was there when Jesus calmed the storm with mere words. And he had followed Jesus out onto the water that night at the sea. Peter was fully convinced of who Jesus was. And he believed Jesus when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He believed Jesus when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He believed Jesus when he said, the Son of, the, uh, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he believed Jesus when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it again. So it was no wonder that when Jesus asked this all-important question that Peter blurted out, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a great moment this was for Peter. What a great moment for the disciples there that day. And what a great moment for followers of Christ all down through the ages. It's the profession of faith that we make when we first come to Jesus for salvation. And it's one that we need to be making daily through our lives. That I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In a letter that was written in 110 AD, Pliny the Younger, the governor of I try. I, I messed up first service too. Bithynia wrote to Trajan, the Roman emperor, about what the Christians were doing. And in his letter, he described what he had learned about the Christian faith. He wrote, the Christians are accustomed to meet on a fixed day to sing hymns to Christ as God. The Christians of that day, the early church Christians, didn't believe that Jesus was just a reincarnation of a prophet or some new prophet that had come along or some founder of some other religion. They believed that Jesus was God incarnate. And when Peter made his statement, Jesus, he accepted it. 
He, he didn't try to shy away from it. He didn't say, now, now, Peter, you're making me blush here. I appreciate your kind words, but let's not go overboard here. No, he commended Peter for his clarity of spiritual insight because his statement was absolutely true. James Hudson Taylor said, Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And it was C.S. Lewis who said that Jesus was either a a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Jesus accepts Peter's statement and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the Roman Catholic Church has, has taken this verse and they claim that, that Peter here was ordained as the first pope, but that's not how we read it. We believe that Jesus wasn't saying that he would build his church on Peter, the man, but rather on the declaration that Peter made when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, Nowhere in the New Testament is Peter referred to as the foundational stone of the church. Instead, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. If the church was built upon an ordinary man, which is exactly what Peter was described as, is described as in the early, book, early part of the book of Acts, as an ordinary, uneducated man. If the church was built upon Peter, it would die. It would go down in the flames of history, yet here we stand more than 2,000 years later. The church still stands because the church isn't built upon an ordinary sinful man. It's built upon Jesus Christ, and it will endure the test of time. In Acts chapters 3 and 4, when Peter and John were still in Jerusalem and were arrested for healing a lame man and for preaching the gospel, they asked them, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation, or there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is a lot of confusion in this life, especially in the area of spirituality. But the church is built upon the bold truth of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let us never get confused on that. Now I want to go back and finish up here in Matthew 16 and look what happens after Peter's bold declaration, starting in verse 21. Matthew writes, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter goes from having this tentpole moment where he makes a statement that the church is built upon. He goes from this mountaintop moment to trying to tell Jesus what he should be doing. This is what the plan should be, Jesus. This is how you should be doing it. 
Like, yes, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. I truly believe that. But what you think is best, well, that's not best at all. This is how we should really do it. See, Peter's suffering from some spiritual confusion here. He can understand who Jesus is, but he can't yet grasp what he came to do or how he came to do it. And let's be honest, if we miss the what and the how, do we really know the who? Peter knew the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. He, he knew that, that Herod had already killed John the baptizer, and he was not willing to lose his friend, his Lord, the Messiah. And so he pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him, to yell at him. And, and Jesus calls him Satan. And what a turning point this has been. Just a few minutes for Peter here. Yeah, good job. You, you said this. You made this declaration. I'm going to build the church upon that statement. And just a few minutes later, he goes, Satan, right? This is quite a turn of events for Peter. You know, the, the word Satan here means adversary. And, and Peter, he was being an adversary and an obstacle to the mission of Christ. The bold and vocal disciple went from hero to zero, just like that. One minute Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter, you're speaking the words of God. And the next minute he said, cursed are you, Peter, you are speaking the words of the devil. A little bit of some ups and downs for Peter. Can you see yourself in Peter now? Not that I'm calling you Satan. Don't get that mixed up. But we all get confused sometimes, don't we? I want to wrap up by giving you some help to be clear-headed about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And the first thing to do is to check your motives. Did you know that you can do all the right things, but if you do them with the wrong motives, you're actually a danger to the cause? You know, Peter acknowledged the Savior, but he was confused about the means of salvation, which is the cross. Matthew tells us that from that time on, he must go and suffer. He must go and suffer. In other words, Jesus was saying, now that you understand who I am, now that we have this figured out, let's get to what I came to do and exactly how I came to do it. And this information, man, it bothered Peter. He didn't like to lose. He definitely didn't want to suffer. I mean, who does? Who wants suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. No one wants to see anybody else suffer, at least not any sane and Christian person. But here at this point in his life, Peter would have Jesus avoid this suffering that he's told him about. He would later discover that this was not and is not the way of our faith. In fact, it was a much more mature Peter who would later write in his first letter, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. If you're living the Christian life, but you see suffering as a detriment, then it's time to check your motives. And I think we could all use a motive check from time to time. Like Peter, we don't like suffering at all. But we can sometimes get caught up in believing that being a Christian means always being blessed and highly favored in terms of the world. And so the moment we go through any suffering, the moment that we struggle in any way, our faith can take a hit. And when that happens, we will be wise to think of this passage here in Matthew. Our Savior Jesus came to suffer. The mission was always going to end in the suffering of our Savior. And that suffering was for each one of us so that our sins may be absolved. 
And because Jesus was fully God, it means that God came to this earth to suffer for each one of us. Jesus was not a king, not a king that sat in some ivory tower with a cushy life. He was not a king that avoided conflict or had some amazing life where he was waited, hand and, waited on hand and foot by servants. No, he was the servant. And he jumped right into the conflict. And then he went to the cross and he endured the suffering for you and for me. Anything different is not speaking the language of God. So as you follow Christ, continually check your motives. Number two, choke your pride. Pride is the first and one of the most dangerous sins. It causes us to think that we know more than we actually do. Satan was kicked out of heaven because of his pride. Adam and Eve believed they they could be as great as God, as knowledgeable as him, because they believed the lie of Satan that God was holding out on them. And pride was a continuing issue for Peter as well. He had so many great accomplishments on his resume that he began to feel like he could write the story, that he knew more than Jesus, the Messiah that he had just proclaimed. I mean, remember when he grabbed the sword of the high priest's servant and began to fight as they came to arrest Jesus. Peter's not the only one this is a continuing issue for. It's a continuing issue for us as well. We can start to think that we know more than God, that that we have to implement our own plan because God's plan just isn't working out right now. We try to outrun God. You know, even well-meaning Christians can start to believe that the story we've made up for our own future is better than the story that God is writing. And when the end of the chapter has a different ending than we think it should, man, we get frustrated with God. Isn't that crazy? Most of us know who God is. We have this relationship with Him. We give Him all the praise. We know that He is all-knowing. We know that He loves us, yet we think that our version of the story is better than His. We get angry when it doesn't go our way. Why? Because of our pride. You know, we, we read earlier in our focus verse, I want to go over it again though, from Proverbs 16, 18, 18-20. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Think of all the times in your life that you were angry with God. That you called out at God, how how can you not answer me right now? Why, Why did you not show up for me right now? Why didn't you make this happen? I came to you on my knees. Then in the aftermath, you realize, maybe it was years later, that that was actually the best thing for you. In the times where you get frustrated with an outcome, remember that blessed is he who trusts in the Lord, not in himself, and choke your pride. Number three is to channel your thoughts. You know, if you want spiritual clarity, then guard your thoughts. The Apostle Paul said to take every thought captive Jesus told Peter that his thoughts didn't reflect the mind of God, but rather the thoughts of Satan. And Satan wants nothing more than us to get distracted with things that don't matter for the kingdom of God. He wants us to get so caught up in pointless things that we don't have time to go and make disciples. I'm too enamored with this. He wants us to get so angry with others that we forget that we should be trying to bring them to Jesus instead. Friends, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. 
We have to channel our thoughts and focus on the mission to love God, to love people, to serve, and to make disciples. Paul says in Titus 3.9, to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. We get so caught up in fruitless debate, Satan, he just laughs. He's laughing his head off because he knows that they're worthless. He knows they're not going to go anywhere. But for him, it's the greatest thing ever because they just are keeping us from reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. Even well-meaning arguments amongst Christians about young earth versus old earth, or about the order of the service, or about the music, or about the pews, all of these things pull us away from getting out there and trying to reach people that need a relationship with Jesus. If you want to avoid spiritual confusion, then channel your thoughts and keep the main thing the main thing. Our mission in this life is not to have our best life now. It's not to achieve all kinds of worldly success or avoid pain and suffering at every turn. There will be pain. There will be pain in this world. There will be suffering. There will be trials of many kinds. Jesus, the Son of the living God, perfect and sinless, did not escape the suffering of this world. Instead, He suffered and died for each one of us so we could have eternal life that brings us out of this fallen world. Our confusion occurs when we forget the mission. Peter lost sight of the mission, and that caused him to lose sight of who Jesus truly is and what he came to do. We have been told in order to gain our life, we must first lose it. We've been told that we need to pick up our cross daily because he, Jesus, gave his life for each one of us. And friends, there are thousands of people in our community that need to hear that truth. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your immense love that you have for each one of us. A love so big that you sent your son Jesus to this earth knowing that it would end in the cross. That our Savior Jesus came to this earth and went through everything knowing how it would end. And He did all of this because He knew it was the only way. It was the only way to absolve all of us of all of our sin so that we might spend eternity in heaven with You, Father. That that was the only way. That his death and his resurrection was the only way that we could have a living hope outside of this fallen world. So Father, in our times of suffering, in our times where we get upset and we get frustrated with you, I pray that you would forgive us, but I pray that we would know, we would know who you are and we would know that you still love us. And you know, we would know that you're hurting with us. But also that we would know we've never been, prof- we've never been promised a perfect life. But instead, we've been promised a place where there is no more pain. And there is no more suffering and there are no more tears. 
Father, we know that this is not our final resting place. And the imperfections of this world, the suffering of this world makes us long and yearn to be home with you. But Father, that's for us, those that know you, that know your son Jesus, that have placed our faith in him. And there are so many people in this world, this fallen world, full of confusion that that don't know Jesus. There's so many people that are lost right now because we're not telling them about who Jesus is. And so, Father, when we think about the suffering that we have to go through, I pray that, that we would know that we are in such an advantaged place because though we go through pain and suffering in this world, we have a hope that goes beyond this, but there are so many people around us every day that don't know that, that don't know that hope, that don't know the love of Jesus Christ. So Father, for those of us that are here this morning that are going through suffering, I lift them up to you. Just because we have this hope doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. I know there are hurting people here this morning, but I pray that they would never forget that you love them and that you have sent your son, Jesus, because you love them, you have sent your son to wash us clean so we could spend eternity with you outside of this world. Father, I pray this morning we would leave here looking for people in our life, praying for people in our life that we could reach for your son, Jesus, so they could have the same hope that we do. Father, we thank you for your amazing love and your amazing grace and for your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you haven't made the decision, if you haven't made this declaration that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you've never made that profession of faith and come forward to be baptized, then there's no better day than today to answer, to give that all-important answer to the most important question. We read that verse earlier from Mark 16, which is a scary verse in some ways. That those that do not proclaim, that do not believe in the name of Jesus Christ, do not put their faith, will be condemned. And that's a scary verse because it's, it's an all or nothing. We either follow Jesus we will be condemned. But long before today, while we were all still sinners, while we were still dead in our sin, Jesus went to the cross for each one of us so that we could avoid condemnation and spend eternity with the Father. And so if you're here this morning, you never put your faith in Him. You never made that profession. I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk to you. You can come dead in your sin, but leave a new creation in Christ today. Because you've gone through the waters of baptism and you have proclaimed that Jesus is the Lord and the King of your life from this day forward. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you've already made that decision or you're just not quite there yet, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Come alongside you. God has given us this amazing gift of prayer and whatever pain and suffering you might be going through, God is there. It doesn't always seem like he is. I know I've had moments in my life where I don't understand it. But I tell you, if God had listened to me every time, I would have a much worse life right now. But that doesn't mean he's not there. 
God is sovereign over all. He is able over all. And he invites us to come to him in prayer. And so I would love to pray with you this morning over what, whatever might be going on in your life right now or the life of a loved one. You know, during this pray for one, we've changed, we had changed things up a little bit like Luke alluded to earlier. And even though we've moved back to kind of where we've been in the past, that doesn't mean that our response time can't include things like writing our name on the board. If God has just now given you a name, maybe he's given you a new name, we invite you to come and write that name on the board as a commitment to be praying for them, that you would look on that board each week and say, I have a spiritual responsibility for this person to try to bring them to Jesus Christ, to pray for them like I would a brother. So you can write your name on the board and maybe you just want to spend some time during this next song just in, in intentional prayer for your one. What the other thing we've kind of talked about is, I don't, you know, I, I might be the guy preaching, but I'm not the only one that can pray. I don't know if you know that or not, but you can pray for others. You know, like that's if you notice somebody, maybe you know somebody in your small group that's struggling right now. Maybe you see somebody here this morning that is just struggling right now. Don't be afraid to come alongside them and just pray with them during the song. I want us to be a people that can pray with one another. It doesn't just have to be people that come forward. There are people struggling with stuff. And everybody here knows that it can be awkward coming forward. So if you see somebody that's struggling, don't be afraid to put an arm around them and just pray with them in that moment. Let us be a church that prays for one another as well. I'll be right down front. If you have a decision to make, or if you just need prayer this morning with me, I'd love to pray with you. We'll also have the song, and we'll invite you to stand and sing with us right now.